Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin. My essay this week is called My Life as a Mr. Mom. It's based upon the lectionary readings for Sunday, May the 14th, 2017. It's Mother's Day. For all the mothers who have loved us, thanks be to God. Last Sunday, I flew down to San Diego and spent the week babysitting my seven-month-old granddaughter. After my son and his wife shoved off to work in the morning, it was just the two of us until dinner time. We read books like The Very Hungry Caterpillar. She made a mess eating her first solid foods and flapped around like a fish when I changed her diapers. I loaded her into the huge three-wheel stroller and we cruised the neighborhood. At nap time, I hovered around her door just out of sight to make sure she was okay. Bottle time was the best when she made those most contented of all sounds. My week of caring for my granddaughter coincided with the calendar in Mother's Day this week. It was also a blast from my own past when I was a Mr. Mom to my own children. From the time that my oldest child started the fifth grade in 1995 until my youngest child graduated from high school in 2009, my wife was the primary wage earner who worked outside the home and I was the stay-at-home parent. I taxied our three kids <coughs> to the dentist <coughs> soccer practice. I did most all the laundry, a task I still like today because of the immediate and positive reinforcement. Success! I shopped and had dinner ready for five people at the end of the day. Wednesday nights was youth group. Should I do a drop-off, return home, then come back, or just sit in the church parking lot for an hour? When I took my preschool daughter to the park, I was the only dad. I shouldn't sound like a martyr. Millions of moms serve their families with far more self-sacrifice than I did, and without bragging about it. Besides, my wife still carried a lot of the load at home, and I had my campus ministry at Stanford. Also, I became a Mr. Mom, not out of some principled choice, but because of financial necessity. My wife was the employable spouse, and we needed the money. Nonetheless, in my own limited way, for 15 years I experienced the life of a stay-at-home mom. It was a formative experience that has given me lots of food for thought. In my better moments, I was proud to be a Mr. Mom. It felt deliciously countercultural. It gave my feminist rhetoric some bona fides. In my heart of hearts, and despite other voices to the contrary, I knew I was doing something good and important. But there were also lots of buts. Living in Silicon Valley, I sometimes felt small and unimportant. I've thought a lot about what it feels like to live on the periphery of what society values as important. Things like power, prestige, and money. I had no sexy job or title, no year-end bonus, no fun business trips at company expense, and certainly no business card with a hot address. 
In my experience, and despite all the talk about liberation and how important taking care of kids is, if you want a nice conversation stopper at a party, consider this. Hi, Dan. What's your line of work? I'm a stay-at-home dad. Oh. And then the person leaves to find a more interesting conversation with a more important person. Across the years, I've changed the way I think about my own calling and vocation. I take some satisfaction in knowing that part of my vocation was, and still is, even in our empty nest period, to support my wife's vocation. She's a fantastic teacher in our public schools, a sacred gift to civic life, in my opinion, and, in some way, I helped to make that happen. I've also tried to learn from my experience that, as the Spanish mystic Teresa of Avila put it, God is found in the pots and pans. There are lots of places to find God, in nature, in art, in reading, in meditation, in music, in church. I tried to find God in the holy chaos of everyday life. In her book, Meherista Theology, 1996, the Latina theologian Ada Maria Isazi Diaz describes this intersection of the sacred and the mundane, the unexpected and the unexceptional. She calls it the locotidiano, the daily thing, or sacred ordinariness. The Celtic tradition is famous for its simple prayers by ordinary people about everyday life. The Celts would concur with the wisdom of Teresa. They specialized in prayers for the mundane matters of life. God was present everywhere and in all ways. The Celts remind us that we meet the sacred in the mundane. They had prayers for getting dressed and going to sleep, for waking up and for lighting the fire. They prayed for birth and death healing and protection, hunting and herding, the farming and fishing. They prayed invocations to bless the loom and the land. Here, for example, is a milking prayer. Bless, O God, my little cow. Bless, O God, my desire. Bless thou my partnership and the milking of my hands, O God. Bless, O God, each teat. Bless, O God, each finger. Bless thou each drop that goes into my pitcher, O God. These simple prayers are sacred acts. They're tender and profound. Gregory Popchak writes that while we meet God in the daily mass at church, we also meet him in the domestic mess at home. God's grace allows us to be transformed by doing little acts of family life with great love, wiping noses, drawing tears, drawing pictures, playing games, calming fears. At the Vox Vene Church in Austin, parishioners have written their own Celt-like prayers for driving in traffic, doing the laundry, brushing teeth, washing the dishes, we might even imagine prayers for Little League and the lawnmower, for the Girl Scouts and the piano lessons. 
Gregory Popkett concludes, We don't need to escape our homes to find God in sanctity. We don't need to run away from home to pray. We need to follow Christ's example and empty ourselves, entering more deeply into the mystery of the domestic mess and finding the wholeness and holiness that waits us there. So, thanks be to God for my granddaughter who reminded me of these realities, and for the millions of moms all over the world who live them every day. <clears throat> for books this week, we review a title by Trevor Noah. It's called Born a Crime, Stories from a South African Childhood. New York, Random House, 2016, 304 pages. Where most children are proof of their parents' love, Trevor Noah writes in his compelling new memoir, I was the proof of their criminality. Born to a Hosa mother and a Swiss-German father in the waning days of apartheid in South Africa, Trevor Noah describes what it was like to grow up as a mixed-race child in a political and cultural climate where he was literally, as the title of the book says, born a crime. Neither white enough to be white nor black enough to be black. In any society built on institutionalized racism, Noah writes, race mixing doesn't merely challenge the system as unjust, it reveals the system as unsustainable and incoherent. Because a mixed person embodies that rebuke, race mixing becomes a crime worse than treason. Noah's beautifully told stories of childhood and adolescence are funny and self-deprecating, but they also shine a light on profound questions of personal and communal identity. What does it mean to belong? What is at stake personally and politically in choosing one cultural identity over another? When is a choice a privilege and when is it a burden? Moving deftly between humor, earnestness, and insight, Noah explores the complexities of race, class, language, religion, and gender under apartheid in its immediate aftermath. Along the way, he introduces a fascinating cast of characters. His rebellious and courageous mother, his fiercely devout grandmother, his quiet and aloof father, his menacing stepfather, and many others, all of whom guide him on his complicated journey from boyhood to adulthood. While Trevor Noah is pri known primarily as the hugely successful host of The Daily Show, this new book reveals him to be also a skilled and nuanced writer of memoir. Once again, the title of the book, Born a Crime, Stories from a South African Childhood by Trevor Noah. For movies this week, I review the title Loving from the year 2016. When Richard and Mildred got married in 1958, they committed a crime in the state of Virginia. 
That's because Virginia was one of 24 states that still had miscegenation laws that made interracial marriage illegal. And sure enough, they were arrested, but got a so-called deal from the judge. If they pleaded guilty, instead of going to prison, he would suspend their sentence if they left the state for 25 years. They chose the latter, but five years and three children labor later, urban life in Washington, D.C. was not for them, so they returned. In the meantime, Mildred had written a letter to Attorney General Robert Kennedy, which letter, by the way, still exists in his archives. Kennedy, in turn, asked the ACLU to help the couple. Life magazine then featured them. The rest, they say, is history. Important constitutional history. A 1967 unanimous decision by the Supreme Court, Loving v. Virginia, struck down state miscegenation laws. In a famous line that has ricocheted down through history, when his attorney asked Richard if he had anything to say to the Supreme Court, he replied, tell them that I love my wife. The movie Loving received a five-minute standing ovation when it premiered at the Cannes Film Festival, along with numerous other accolades and awards. The title of the movie, Loving. And finally, for poetry this week, we've posted a poem by Robert Bly. It's called Things to Think. Think in ways you've never thought before. If the phone rings, think of it as carrying a message larger than anything you've ever heard, vaster than a hundred lines of Yeats. Think that someone may bring a bear to your door, may be wounded and deranged, or think that a moose has risen out of the lake and he's carrying his antler on his antlers a child of your own whom you've never seen. When someone knocks on the door, think that he's about to give you something large, tell you you're forgiven, or that it's not necessary to work all the time, or that it's been decided that if you lie down, no one will die. Robert Bly, Things to Think. Thank you for joining us at journeywithjesus.net for Sunday, May the 14th, 2017. It's Mother's Day weekend. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin.